All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. Let me read those together with you. It says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The title of the study is The Bible Preach It. This is what Paul tells Timothy. Coming out of chapter 3 where he told him that things would get worse and worse. That people would, would have a certain kind of a character. And he gave a description of that character in the opening verses of chapter 3. And then he told him, but you need to, you need to stand fast. You need to um, you know, follow the doctrine. Follow my manner of life. You've done it already. Keep doing it. But you're going you're gonna to be persecuted for doing it, Timothy. All who would want to live godly will suffer persecution. And then he goes on to tell them the importance of clinging to the word of God and the inspiration of scripture. That scripture, the Bible, it has come from God. This is not the invention of men and women sitting down saying, what can we come up with? But this is God saying, here's my heart. Here's my teaching. This is my truth. These are my ways. This is how I want you to live. This is what you should think of me. This is what you should think of your enemies. This is what you should think of your family. This is what you should think when everything goes bad. This is what you should think when everything goes good. I mean, we've got a a, a book in front of us that gives us instruction and guidance for every aspect of life. And we are so blessed for that. As we move into chapter 4, of course, here we are. There's only four chapters, right? So we're coming to the end of the book. And if you just look at verse 6, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. He's not waiting for a flight. He's about to have his head chopped off. That's the drink offering, the pouring out. Imagine wine being poured out. and That's kind of the imagery that we're talking about here. So what we have then, before Paul talks about the fact that he's about to leave, he says, I want you to preach the word. People's last words, there's a solemnity to them in many occasions especially when it can be planned out and, and kind of like, I, this is the way I want it to go. And, of course, Scripture is that, right? So he's writing, I'm about to go. And the last thing that he says to Timothy before he talks about the fact that he's going to leave this earth, he says, preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. It is so important that we understand this serious exhortation and that for me that I walk it out and that I, you know, you can pray that I continue to be faithful, to preach the word of God. Um, not to preach my ideas, not to preach the latest topics and trends, not to, not to preach, you know, Troy Warner's version of politics. I don't think you want that. You can go to a news source for that. But what does the word of God say? That's what should be coming out of my mouth. And I've shared this quite a few times here recently, but I'm going to share it again. When we were getting ready to come out to Lynchburg uh, 27 years ago, um, and I was reading in Jeremiah, and the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, I'm going to put my words in your mouth and don't speak any other words except for what I put in your mouth. It was so clearly the Lord just said, that's you, Troy. I'm going to put my words in your mouth, and my words are in the Bible. You have nothing else to say. And, um, you know, it's, believe me, it's not because I don't have opinions. Ask my wife. I've got opinions about everything. I've got an opinion about your football team, I guarantee you. I have an opinion about everything, just like you do, Okay. I've got opinions about all of this stuff, but I have really, really tried hard that when I stand here is that what you hear come from my mouth is what the Word of God has to say. And, um, you know, listen, other pastors may feel the freedom to, sh- to, to get into those other topics and, and, and to you know, deal with it. And I, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. I know what the Lord told me to do. And the Lord made it so clear to, to Troy Warner and my own quiet time as I was thinking about coming out there is don't talk about other stuff. If it's not in my word, just leave it alone. And so as I come to this passage, it's, it's one that 
is, of course, to any pastor, anybody who teaches the Word of God, Sunday school teacher, youth worker, home fellowship leader, mom and dad, grandmother and grandfather who are teaching the Word of God to the next generation. And so in that sense, I like to broaden that application out for all of us, right? It's like, oh, this is for the pastor. I could have stayed home today. No, this is for you too. Because all of us have the responsibility to be sharing the word of God. So we begin there in verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. Appearing is a Greek word, epiphania. We get our English word, epiphany. Ah, you know, the light comes on, something comes to you. Well, in this sense, it's not just the light coming to you. It's actually, it's a physical appearing, and it was primarily used in Paul's day of the emperor who was going to either take the throne, he was going to uh, ascend to the throne, or he was going to come to your town. And if he was coming to your town, they would say, you know, the emperor is coming, or the epiphania. And the idea was, if he's coming, you've got to get everything taken care of. That trash heap that's been, you know, at the corner of, you know, whatever road it was, it's got to get up before he comes, and we need to wash everything. We need to clean everything. We need to fill in the potholes. We need to make this place look as beautiful. Trim the, you know, the foliage, plant flowers, whatever they needed to do so that when the emperor came through the town, it communicated to him, we knew you were coming, we were waiting for you, and we've got it all in order for you. That's for the emperor. But that's not what Paul's talking about, is it? He's talking about which king? It's King Jesus. And that he's going to have an appearing, that he's going to come on the scene. And so he says, I charge you therefore before God. And he's giving this solemn charge, and we know what it is, is to preach the word. He's going to come, and he says that he's going to judge. Now here's the interesting thing as we read this. Um, When he talks about this judgment, he, he will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. There are two, there are a couple of different judgments that are going to happen. One judgment that's going to take place, well, let me start here. One judgment has already taken place on the cross. Jesus has been judged for all who have put their faith and trust in him or who will ever put their faith and trust in him. He was judged with our sin laid to his account by the Father. Read Isaiah 53. And then for, for those who put their faith and trust in him, there's a, a judgment for the way we've lived our life, our works, our service. As stewards, have we been faithful? As Paul said in Corinthians, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found, what's the word? Faithful. You must be found faithful as a, as a steward of God. And so there's a judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ, where we're not going to be evaluated based upon whether we are, are, will enter into heaven, that has been settled in our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. But this judgment is one that's going to measure how have I done what I, uh, with the gifts and the talents that I've received. But there's another judgment that's going to happen, and that's going to happen, we read in Revelation chapter 20, when Jesus comes back at his second coming, when he sets up the kingdom um, upon this earth for a thousand years, and I do believe that's, that's, that's the position we take, is that it'll be a literal reign of Christ upon this earth for a thousand years. And, and there's going to be a judgment that's going to take place. Um, those that have gone and not put their faith and trust in the Lord will be judged. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. And so you can take this, and I think you can, you can get application either way. Timothy, you are going to have to give an account for the way in which you handle the word of God. The king is coming, and there's going to be a judgment. You're going to have an accountability to the Lord. Or you could take it this way. Timothy, judgment is coming upon this earth, and you've got the answer for how people can escape that judgment. The king is coming, and he's going to judge. He's going to set up his kingdom. You've got to preach the word so people are ready for it. I think you can go and you can make application either way. But we are the ones, not because we're smarter, not because we're wiser, but we are the ones, the church of Jesus Christ, who's been given the answer for eternal life and how to escape the coming judgment that the Lord is going to bring. Now, the Lord is patient, and he's been waiting for almost 2,000 years. And for a lot of us, it's like, Lord, please come back. But you know what? A generation ago, they were praying that, and we're all glad that Jesus didn't answer their prayer back then, right? 
Really, this is not a, a matter of like if we pray enough, he's going to come. The father has a day. He has an hour. He knows when he's going to send his son. But in the meantime, he's not willing that any should perish. And we have the responsibility to follow what Timothy will be charged with, and that is to preach the word. We've got to let people know how to escape the coming judgment. But if we take this and we consider it from the vantage point of a believer... And the judgment and coming to evaluate how we have done. And specifically, if we consider um, this matter of him dealing with the word, there are a few things that we've already read in Timothy that he'll be judged by with the word of God, as will every pastor. First of all, to teach sound doctrine. We've read this a couple of times. 2 Timothy 1.3 says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you've heard from me. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's a right way to present the word of God, and there's a wrong way to do it. Timothy, work hard. Be one that presents the word of God in the correct way. Make sure you follow the pattern of sound words. So part of the judgment that every pastor and every teacher of the Word of God is going to have to deal with is, did I accurately communicate the teaching and the doctrine found in Scripture? James said that teachers are going to be held in stricter judgment. And so I stand and I teach before you, and I am fully aware that I will give an account for the things that I have said, and they must be according to sound doctrine. They must coincide with the heart and the mind of the Lord. Secondly, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, um, he says, And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, who will also be able to teach others. So teach doctrine, and then also pass it on to other people so they can do it as well. It's not enough for you just to do it by yourself. You must find other people to Carry on. Timothy, I'm about to go. I'm giving it to you, but you got to find men that you can give it to. And this has been the responsibility of every pastor and every teacher of the Word of God down through the ages in the church is find other people, raise them up to teach the Word of God. Number three, on 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, he says that you need to protect the flock. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. There's an aspect of, of teaching and pastoring where you correct those that bring in another idea. If God will perhaps grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. What they're bringing in is something that's not according to the truth. So you've got to correct that, Timothy. And if you're worried about hurting people's feelings, then you signed up for the wrong job. Because what you need to be concerned about is the appearing, the epiphania that you're going to stand, you're going to give an account to the Lord. So if you're worried about how people are going to feel about the word of God and that causes you to back off, bad news for you. You shouldn't have taken this job. And then we find that we should hold fast uh, to the scripture that is holy, inspired, and profitable. We, we talked about this passage the last couple of weeks, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and what it does. Have a high view of the word of God, Timothy. And, and know what it can do in people's life and how it will impact people. And now here today we're reading that we must preach the word. So these things, I believe, are all aspects of how Timothy will be judged in his responsibilities. He'll be judged based upon, is it accurate? Is it sound doctrine? He'll be judged whether or not he's raised up other people. He'll be judged whether or not he's protected the flock of God from bad teaching. Um, what is his view of Scripture? Does he have a high view of Scripture that it's inspired and that it works in people's life? And is he actually preaching the message? And that's going to be the focus. But the, the, what we read there at the end of verse 1 is that our King Jesus, he's going to appear and he's going to have a kingdom. He's going to have a kingdom. What was it that his disciples argued about when they were leaving Jericho and walking up the, 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 the ascent to get to Jerusalem? What did they argue about and fight about among themselves? Does anybody remember? Who was going to be the greatest? The greatest in what? 
and the kingdom. I wonder sometimes, do, do people even care about the kingdom? Do we even care that there's going to be, we're going to have a place, there's going to be some kind of uh, acknowledgement of, the, of how we've lived our life and we'll find our place in the kingdom? I mean, it's not commendable at all that they would fight over who was the greatest. And Jesus asked them when they got to sit down, said, hey, I heard you guys having a conversation today. What were you talking about? Oh, nothing, Lord. It, it doesn't, you don't worry about it. It's just stuff. It doesn't. Okay, yeah, you're probably right. I don't need to know about it. Well, let me, tell, let me tell you about something. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you know, it's like, I know what you were talking about. You need to be the servant of all. Don't be like the Gentiles that, that lord power and authority over people, but serve. That's how you're going to be great. So they had a great desire to, or they had a desire to be great in the kingdom, not commendable, they, because they fought over it. And they had selfish motivation. But you certainly couldn't accuse them of being indifferent. And I wonder, hopefully it's neither of those. Hopefully you're not indifferent. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. Hopefully you're not like, I've got to be great and I know I will be great. There's some problems with that. Be the servant of all. But th this is important for us to consider. And it's like, well, you know, I just don't care about that stuff. I mean, that's in the future and whatever. Well, this is what Jesus said. He says, behold, I am coming quickly and something is with me. What does he say is with him? My reward is with me. Jesus, in referring to coming back, his epiphania, says, I'm coming back and I have something to give you. If somebody said that to you, say, hey, I'll be home soon and I've got a gift for you. And you said, I don't want your gift. That would be considered what? Rude. That would be considered rude. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming quickly and I've got something. My reward, I have my reward to give to you. And that should cause us to pay attention and to focus and consider how it is that we are living. It's a kingdom, and we're going to be a part of it, and we're going to be rewarded in it. Well, in verse 2, moving on, we see the charge, the solemn charge that he speaks of there in verse 1, and that is preach the word. Make a public proclamation. Herald this message, Timothy. Let people know. So those say, well, I just believe you know, religion is supposed to be a private thing. Those are the people that have, don't understand what the Bible says. It's a public thing. It's a public thing. It's never been a private thing. It's always been a public thing. And so he says, preach the word. Let people know what it, what's contained in these holy scriptures that have, that have come. You've got to communicate this. You've got to teach it. You've got to give sound doctrine. You've got to be engaged in this activity. When Peter had denied the Lord, remember, no, I don't know him, I don't know him. Those three times. Then the Lord, after he had risen from the dead, came to him. And he asked him three times, slightly different ways. But basically, he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And what does he say? He says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, take, take care of them, feed them. The important thing to the Lord was that Peter would feed the flock of God. That he would deliver the word of the Lord to them. So it isn't just... Paul that thinks it's a good idea. As a matter of fact, in the early church, Acts chapter 6, all kinds of people have come to faith in the Lord. It's a mega church. All right, it's a huge church. 3,000 got saved on the day of Pentecost. 5,000 got later, saved later. You have 8,000 men, women and children. It's a mega church. And, you know, and I, I just will say this. I think we make way too big of a deal over the size of a church, big or small. I don't like small churches. Yeah, but it's Jesus' church. It's his church. And if the church is preaching the word and doing the things that she should, we should be happy to be a part of it. I don't like big churches. Well, if they're teaching the word, if they're preaching the word, that's what's important. What, what we should be concerned about, small, medium, or large, if they're not preaching the word. That's the issue. We just happen to be so blessed that we can choose small, medium, or large. But you know what? If you were in Jerusalem, you didn't get to choose small, medium, or large. You had one church. If you were in Laodicea and you wanted a big church, you probably were out of luck. There was one small little house church that was in that town that you would have gone to. 
We just, we have so much. I mean, and especially in this town, the city of churches. The city of churches. That, I've, you know when I found out what the name of, the, that, that name for Lynchburg? When I was on the plane on the way here to think about planting a church here. I kid you not. I didn't laugh like that, though. I just was like, really? And so, I, but the guy goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to Lynchburg. He goes, oh, you're going to Lynchburg. What are you going to do? And he goes, I said, well, I'm, I'm praying about going to plant a church. He goes, in the city of churches? I was like, what are you, Wikipedia? He just was like, he said, he goes, you know, there's the highest per capita of church attendance of any town in the United States. I don't know if that's true or not, but it had its desired impact on me. It's like, why am I on this plane going to Lynchburg? So, I mean, at that time, um, you know, there was no internet. I mean, there probably was out there, but I mean, you weren't using it in 1994. I can tell you that. And... Um, so we used this thing called the telephone book. And so I, when I got there, I asked Joe and Jeannie, staying at the Palmer's house, I said, hey, can I see your phone book? And he goes, yeah. He goes, well, I said, yellow pages. And I looked up churches, and I started looking page after page, and then I counted them all. And I'm like, there were 300, just under 300 churches in 1994. And so I, I guarantee you there are more now. And, um, you know, so... The size of it, that doesn't matter. But I can, I can tell you when I came, this was, it almost turned me around and never got off the plane because I was like, well, why in the world would I come? And why did I come? Because I knew that, well, the Lord was leading me here. That's the bottom line. But it was to preach the word, to teach the word. So important. Well, how did the Lord seek to, in this mega church, early church experience, how did Satan seek to get them off track? There began to be a dispute between the Hellenists and the Hebrew widows in their daily allotment of food. So the church was now taking on the responsibility of giving food to these widows. And there, be, there was a dispute. And the way that it felt was, hey, these, these uh, Hebrew uh, believers, they're getting more food. And the Hellenistic, they're not getting as much food. And there was this accusation of, of favoritism or maybe racism, you could even say. It's like if you're, the, if you're you know, this you know, descent, then you get this much, otherwise you get that much. And it was a problem. And Satan came and or the, the, the people came and said, Peter, you need to solve this problem. And really it was a, 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 a trap for him. Because if he would have stepped into solving that problem for thousands of people potentially, then he would have missed out on what was more important. But he caught it. And he says, listen, you need to find some people that can handle this. But we will give ourselves to prayer and the word of God. That's the important piece. I am fully convinced that Satan would rather the church of Jesus Christ grow and be successful without the word and prayer than for the church to be small with the word and prayer. Because a church without the word and a church without prayer is no threat to the kingdom of darkness. But a church, no matter the size of it, that clings to the word of God and preaches it, now there's something that it needs to be concerned with. And, you know, we speak of the church, the small church, big church, as if there are different churches. There's one church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. We gather in different places. We call ourselves different names. We like to dress differently. We like different kinds of music. Whatever it might be, we have these things. But if, if the word of God is believed, Jesus is preached, it gives sound doctrine, then, then it's the Lord's church, and there's only one. So, yeah, this has often been the, the attempt of the enemy is to get the church to stop preaching the word. And when I arrived here 27 years ago, um, the building we moved into, which is actually just right there, I mean, you can almost see it from here, um, the pastor that was moving out, we were moving in, he was below, and he was moving out, and I was moving in. We hadn't even started. And he said, uh, what are you doing here? And I said, well, you know, we're going to plant a church. He said, that's a mistake. He goes, my advice to you is to get in your U-Haul and get out of this town as fast as you possibly can. I said, well, I'm not doing that. As I just got here. And he said, well, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to teach the Bible. I said, I'm going to go cover to cover. I'm going I'm to give the word of God. I'm going to love God's people. And he says, let me tell you something. It will never work in this town to teach the Bible. And I said, why do you say that? He goes, nobody wants to hear. Nobody wants to hear in this town 
And I said, well, I'm going to have to discover that one for myself, I guess. I said, but I'm going to teach the Bible. And you know what? People want to hear it, evidently. They want to hear the word of the Lord. I was told that, you know, by people when they found out that we were here, and they said, well, you know, what do you do? Well, actually, believe it or not, some of the very, some of you were around back then. You can remember, the question I got the most when we first got started, probably because I was 27, I was from California, which a bunch of other young people from California, I had a mullet. But I actually thought that was a British rock haircut, actually, at the time. So, you know, I, I didn't know it was called that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. So I apologize. But, um, but everybody, you know, looked at us and showed up with long hair from California. And they're like, are you guys a cult? Which I think is an interesting question, because if I was, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, we're a cult. We're going to, you know, brainwash your kids and kill them. I mean, nobody, you don't tell, you wouldn't give that away. But I got phone call after phone call. And people asking, but you know, people in this town, I, I repeat, I don't even know how many times they said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, we're committed to expository preaching, just going through, you know, the word of God. They said, believers, kind, nice believers said, oh, that'll never work in this town. Lynchburg does not like that. I'm just like, what? I don't understand this. And I said, well, that's what we're here to do. And preaching the word of God is the commandment. It's what we are supposed to do. It's not that you, like you have an option. There are other ways to communicate the word of God. You could use drama. You could use music. The, both of those mediums can certainly communicate the word of God. You know, in the, the dark ages, what did they use? They didn't use the Bible because it wasn't in their language, and they didn't have one on their lap. It wasn't the sermons because it wasn't in their language. And it wasn't the songs because it wasn't in their language. So what did they possibly glean when they went to church? Stained glass windows. That's about all they got, was that form of art would communicate certain truths. And boy, what an inferior way to get doctrine and truth, to, as opposed to having the Bible in your lap to be able to read it and study it. But this is, this is part of the church's history. But I was told they'll never, they'll never stand for it. They'll never listen to it. It's a different age. It's a different time. You know, TV and, and movies, it's a generation that's used to like 15 minutes. You might be able to teach 20 minutes, and that's it. I said, I'm not teaching 20 minutes. I guarantee you that I'm not doing that. Maybe on accident one day. I don't know. I might. But I'm not doing it with the plan. I said, because it takes, we're, we're going to be in the Word, and we're going to go through it. And um, they said, well, nobody will ever sit through it. But I knew that wasn't true. Because I sat through it and I loved it. When I was 17 years old and I heard somebody open and teach the Bible, give an expositional message, meaning just read it and explained it and applied it to my life, I was blown away. I was like, what? I was used to topical messages. I was used to Sunday school lessons. And listen, there's value in both and I'm not here to rail against them on any level. But um, when I heard that, I'm like, man, I've never seen something like that. And then I remember, no, I do remember this. There was a youth pastor at one of our churches, and he started teaching us that way. And um, he got in trouble, and he was told to stop teaching the Bible like that. And he started doing more fun and, fun and game stuff. But I remember thinking, wow, this is different. And people will listen to the Word of God if you teach it. But actually, in this passage, we just read it, it said the time's going to come when they won't listen to it. So therefore, you better preach it while you can. The fact that people won't listen to it, as is prophesied, is not a reason to not preach it. It's, it's all the more reason to give in. But, I, you know, I came out of, I was in a youth group and 17 years old. And, I mean, there's hundreds of kids coming out. There's, you know... At our friend's house, you know, there would be 150 kids in a house. Think about that, mom and dad. 150 kids, man, just all packed in the house, out the windows. I mean, you know, windows opened. It just, just, we were everywhere on a Friday night to hear the word of God being taught. And then we would do, I was part of, you know, the, the leadership of the youth group. And we would plan an activity, 25 kids. Have another Bible study, 150 kids would show up. And so I knew it wasn't true. 
I knew that it wasn't true. I had been a youth pastor, and I, I knew that wasn't true, and I saw the way the kids responded to the word. And so, really, though, what option do you have when you're told to preach the word? I give you a charge. You deliver this message. And so that's what was in our hearts as we came here 27 years ago. It's still in my heart. I am still committed to it. You know, we've, this is our fourth time through the Bible. Um, you know, so we're well, you know, making our way through the New Testament for the fourth time. Um, just in Genesis for the fourth time, on, uh, you know, as we go through the Old Testament. But this is what we're committed to doing. You know, when revival happens, and if you, and I'm only going to give you two, I'll give you three examples in Scripture. There's more. When the revival happened in the days of King Josiah, they went to the temple to clean it out. Spring cleaning, I guess. I don't know. And while they were cleaning it out, they found what? They found God's word, the book of the law. They read it and they're like, oh, wow, we're in huge trouble. We're like breaking every commandment there is. They brought it to the king and said, you need to read this. He read it. He tore his clothes. He wept. He repented. And he called the nation to repentance. When revival happens, there's a rediscovery of the word of God. That's what takes place. And Nehemiah, in the days of Nehemiah and Ezra, as they were coming back into the land and um, they were ministering, we read in Nehemiah 8.8, so they read distinctly from the book and the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And this is really, I think, the way the word of God should be handled. You read it, you explain it, you apply it. And, and this is what was going on, and it was the law of God. This wasn't like a gospel or, the, or Philippians or some easy read book. This was the law of God. But it had practical application on how they were to conduct themselves as a nation. How about in Acts chapter 2, when the early church was being established in that revival, and 3,000 and 5,000 were getting saved. What did they do? And they continued daily, they continued steadfastly daily in the apostles' doctrine. They got into the word every day. I question any revival that does not have the word of God as a prominent feature of its revival. Because this is what always happens in scripture. So this is important. We must give ourselves to the preaching of the word. And he says there, still in verse 2, to preach at all times. So yeah, preach the Bible. And then secondly, preach at all times. Be ready in season and out of season. Always be prepared, Timothy, to deliver the word of God no matter what's going on in the world or in people's lives. That you have a message to bring to them of truth and hope and life, of rebuke and correction. You have to be ready. You can't just take time off and say, oh, I'm, you know, today's my day off. Leave me alone. You can't say, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not on. I've got to go. Get, no, you've got to be ready all the time to deliver the word of God because the stakes are too high. It's too high, Timothy, so you must be ready. You know, when he talks about um, preaching at all times, being ready in season and out of season, and I've mentioned a couple of times the idea of expositional preaching as opposed to like topical. And I do, I've, so I'm not saying there's never a time or place for that. And that there are times we'll do that. Times we'll do series in between book studies. But the reason why... I'm committed to expositional preaching. Here's four reasons. Number one, the scriptures are God's thoughts. And if I teach through it, you get to see the flow of God's thoughts on a particular topic. A topical message can still give you the idea. But I believe, and it's been my experience, when I see the truth inside the flow of God's word, it brings a greater ability to, uh, well, it impacts my life in a different way. And I just see, oh, this is how the Bible's put together. So the scriptures are God's thoughts. It's what God said, and I need to hear him. It focuses on what he says and not the, the form of my, my sermon. It's God's word, and God's word lays out the sermon for us. Secondly, it's the best way for us to learn. Rather than learning the points of my message, you learn chapter and verse which means you can go back to that and you can study that. That's why I love it when I look out there and I see you taking notes because you can go back and you can have this and you'll be familiar with 2 Timothy when we go through it again. When you go through it again, you'll remember things. It keeps us from error. 
I've got to deal with what's in front of me. And so as I read it and I get the full counsel of God, I'm not just getting you know, certain messages. What's popular in the world right now? What's the trendy thing that's going on? No, it's what does God's word say? And so when you go through all of it, you have a broad understanding of the word of God. And then fourthly, it equips the believer for ministry. These are the reasons why I believe it's so important for us to get in the word the way we do. Again, those who handle it differently, if they believe in the inspired word of God, they're preaching you know, the gospel and calling people to salvation, they're loving the flock, and they're communicating truth, that's great. That, you know, praise the Lord for them. And we should all thank the Lord for them. I just happen to think that this is the best way. You know, it was Pastor Chuck who told us as pastors, I still remember the first time I ever heard him say it. He says, listen, everybody teaches from the Bible. I want you men to teach the Bible. I want, you to, I want people to know the Bible when they leave, not just sermons from the Bible. Everybody does that. But you teach the Bible because it's the way it's been given to us. And I took that seriously. And more importantly, because Chuck said it, I, I see the value of it in the Word of God and the importance of it. Preach with urgency, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Convince is the idea, help God's people to stay on the right path. Tell them what it is and shepherd them. Shepherd the flock back into the right place. Say, walk like this, think like this, live like this. Rebuke is to charge with wrong. If you see error, then charge with wrong, Timothy. Exhort or comfort. The word of God brings encouragement to people. No matter what the trials in, it exhorts us to keep on going. So we comfort, we rebuke, we convince, and we are to do it with patience, all long suffering. You don't run out of, out of patience. And you want to know when a pastor has run out of patience is when he starts being mean to the people he's teaching. That's a pretty good indication. That guy is like, he's no longer patient. He's just mad. He's just upset. But it's to be done with patience. And the word here is the Greek word macrothumia. And let me just read to you the definition. It says, it describes the spirit which never grows irritated, never despairs, and never regards any man as beyond salvation. Long-suffering. You keep on giving it over and over again. And then he mentions doctrine. So preach the word and do it with urgency. That is, convince, rebuke, comfort with patience. And doctrine. You're going to give instruction about how to get through the trial and to comfort and to strengthen somebody's hands and, and how to live life. But you also have to deal with doctrine. you got to deal with the incarnation. you got to deal with... Uh, you know, the, the nature of God. You've got to deal with eschatology. You've got to deal with these, these matters. And um, so preach the word, and this is how you should do it. And he gives two reasons in verses 3 and 4 for this urgency. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Timothy, you've got to get to work, and you've got to do it like this, because a time is going to come, and people aren't going to want to hear doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they want to hear something else, they're going to find other teachers. They're going to turn away from the truth. They're going to turn aside to lies, to fables. So, Timothy, you've got to give them the word. You've got to preach it. And the idea that they will not hear it is no reason to not preach it. It's actually the very reason why you preach it. So those who would say people just won't hear the word of God anymore, you've got to find another way to teach it. No, opposite. They won't hear it, therefore preach it before others won't listen to it. And so this is the reason. Sound doctrine is going to be rejected. You've got to get it out there. You've got to commit yourself to communicating the truth. And secondly, false teachers are going to come. They're going to find for themselves other teachers. They're going to find somebody to say something other than what the Bible says. So you must preach the word of God. And this is true inside our homes as well, mom and dad. You've got to give them the word. Everything we just talked about for what you should expect from me or from any pastor is what you should be doing as you raise your children. Is letting the word of God speak into their life and preaching it and having those times where you're engaging in the word of God. Because when you don't do that, we set it up for failure. Our kids are for failure. 
They just need to figure it out on their own. No, they don't. You need to teach them. That's the way we do it. They'll figure out how to brush their teeth one day. We don't do that. They'll figure out how to wear, you know, matching clothes. No, they won't. you got to teach them how to do that. Well, they'll learn how to be polite. I don't think so. You're probably going to have to teach them that too. They'll learn to be good students at school. No, you're going to have to help them with that one also. Well, they'll learn when, you'll, one day they'll learn to take a bath. No, you're probably going to have to help them the whole way through until they finally figure it out and hopefully before they get much older, right? I mean, you've got to do this. You've got to teach them all these things. Why would we give up teaching our kids the word of God? Better to have a smelly kid and an uneducated kid than a kid that does not fear God. That is something that should just be completely unacceptable. And I pray for you parents to have wisdom and strength and courage to lead your homes. you got to lead your homes. And look at those that have gone before you that have raised their kids in the ways of the Lord and pattern yourself after them. But in saying that, I also want to say you need to hear how to raise your kids in your own house. Because what happened in that house and the liberties they had in that house may not work so well for your house. Because you have different human beings there. And the standards that are going to be there may be different than over there. And so you have to be in touch with the Lord and hearing, but raising them in the ways of the Lord. Jeremiah had an experience much of what Timothy talked about there in verses 3 and 4. In Isaiah, or Jeremiah 5, verses 30 and 31, it says, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. Well, that kind of gets your attention, doesn't it? The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? And that is the problem with it, isn't it? Because the judge is going to appear, and there will be an accounting that everybody will have to give for how they responded to the word of God, to Jesus Christ, and how we communicated truth to people. So very important. As we wrap it up here, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, there are four important truths for pastors and parents. But you be watchful in all things. Know what's going on. Look around and be aware of what's taking place. Out there, what, what's the teaching that's going on? What's making its way into a local body of believers? You know, I don't address everything that is out there in the world. I address the things that impact the church here because with the way things are, with you know, access to the internet, I mean, you, we could only talk about the problems and never get to other stuff, right? So we address the issues as they come up and as they're needed, but the Word of God does such a great job as we march through it to, to cover all of those issues anyways. But we must be watchful. You must be looking out. You need to know that there's an attack. You need to know what... The prophet said that there's going to come a time when people won't hear. You've got to be aware. So we are watchful. We're looking. We're speaking, um, you know, truth into um, one another's life about the things, the threats that are coming. But I want to say this word of caution. And while it is absolutely true, it's right here in our Bibles, we must be watchful in all things. Not everything is a threat. Not everything is a threat. And if you are constantly speaking about this threat, this threat, this threat, and it's never coming to pass, then all of a sudden you begin to sound like a broken record who really doesn't know what they're talking about. And I, I, I understand. Yeah, you can, you can go ahead and email me. That's fine. Just start it now. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for what I'm going to say. But there's, there, there, are, there are pastors out there right now that are saying this. I'm not saying they're, they're false prophets. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying they're bad teachers. On this point, they are. But they're, they're, they're saying that, hey, well, I, I once said, he goes, if you're not you know, warning your people that you know, taking the vaccine is the mark of the beast, you are not a good pastor. You are not a watchman. Ridiculous. You know what you need to have to have the mark of the beast? It's a key item there. You know what you need to have? A beast. You need to have the Antichrist on the scene. 
Oh, choice pro-vax. I didn't say that. Get a vax, don't get a vax. Talk to your doctor, make your own personal decision, pray as a family, but it's not the mark of the beast. Um, last time I checked, they are not giving vaccinations in the forehead or on the right hand. <laughs> I'm just saying, the Bible's pretty specific, and there's no visible mark there. The other thing that's not happening, well, as you get this mark, if somebody's gotten a vaccination, is that they're not saying, I now worship the Antichrist with this vaccine. I now bow before him, and he is the true Christ. Nobody's doing that. And that's what the mark of the beast is. The mark of the beast is the outward sign of an inward allegiance to the false Christ. Do we really think that's why people are getting vaccinations today? Well, they might be conditioning people. That's a different subject. And they might be. But here's my concern. You know what happens when pastors stand up and they say things like that? So what happens in a year or two years or three years? You know, I've got it on the calendar. In four years, if the Antichrist has not committed the abomination of desolation and everybody that got a vaccination is not part of his clan, then those were false prophets. I mean, it's, you can't just have this forever. So three and a half years into the Great Tribulation, there will be the abomination of desolation. If you're saying the mark, taking the mark of the beast, which actually happens in the... Uh, you know, after that point. So you, uh, you would have to say that we are in the tribulation right now. There's so much wrong theologically with that statement. Well, we do need to be, you know, on the lookout. Okay, that's far different than saying that taking the vaccination is the mark of the beast. That's a world of difference. You know what's going to happen? I, you know, should the Lord tarry, and I'm right on this one. I, I, I am not going to back down at all. You know what's going to happen? In a few years, people are going to look back and say, I remember when pastors in the church were saying that if you take the vaccination, it was the mark of the beast. Nobody will be saying it in three or four years. They're not going to be saying it. And then you know what's going to happen? People who have sat in the church and were part of the church will look and say, well, this guy kept us talking about this and Jesus coming back. And they'll begin to dismiss the truth of the word of God because the watchman was... Sounding an alarm for the wrong things. And we've got our Bibles that make it so clear. I'll give you an example. How many of you remember Y2K? Yeah, that's exactly what last service did. They all laughed. Do you remember the hysteria? Do you remember the little survival packets that, that churches and ministries were surviving so you could make it through Y2K? Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Lucky you. But, I mean, it's like, hey, you know, 1999, when it turns to year 2000, it's all going to shut down. And, we're, you know, computers aren't going to be able to talk to each other anymore. There won't be communication, won't be happening. It's just like the Tower of Babel, you know, when all the languages got confused. And it was a judgment. And God's bringing judgment upon us again. The end is here. Buy my packet of beans and lentils and whatever else. None of it happened. Because there's no verse for it. Listen, things will happen. Well, it may be conditioning people. Okay, you're right. It may be conditioning people to follow a certain mantra of the day. But that has been the case in every single generation of the church. Think back to the first century. It wasn't a vaccination you had to take. You had to take incense and throw it on the altar and worship Caesar. But that wasn't the Antichrist either. So there's always something that's been going on. So we got to be careful. we got to be mindful. I want to see Jesus come back. I, I believe in the pre-trib rapture, and I, I, I do. But when people begin to say, this is a sign of his coming. No, it's not, because the rapture is a signless event. It's a signless event. So we got to be so careful. So we need to be watchful, but we need to make certain that we're, we're careful, too. That we're not calling people to watch out for the wrong thing. So there's that. Endure hardship is going to be tough. You're going to have to have some thick skin, Timothy. Do the work of an evangelist. Continue to preach Christ and call people to salvation. And fulfill your ministry. God's given you something to do. Make sure you complete it. God's given me 
He's giving you something to do. Make sure you finish it. I don't know what it is, but fulfill whatever it is. Your life doesn't have to look like mine, and her life doesn't need to look like his. And Just do what God's called you to do. You seek the Lord with all your heart, and if you know the king is coming, the epiphany is going to happen, and you're going to give an account. That's all the motivation you need to get it straight. Seek the Lord and follow what he has called you to do. So, wow, so important that we hear this message to preach the word and walk it out, to study the word. I'll do that. You can pray for me to be faithful to preach the word here. And I'm praying for you to be faithful to preach the word in whatever sphere of influence you have. Well, it's not very big. Well, it's a sphere of influence. Use it. Your children, your grandchildren, the people you work with. I don't know where it is, but give people the word of God. I mean, listen, turn on the news. Do they have any answers? The craziness, the things that people are saying. Listen to what the world's saying. They have no answers for any of it. Everybody's mad, and they're frothing at their mouth, and they're angry. We've got, we have Jesus. We have the hope of eternal life. We have stuff that makes sense, that brings people peace and hope. What brings peace in the world today? What, what, what is their message that they could, they, are they even concerned about people having peace and having rest and hope? They're not concerned at all. They're just stirring it up constantly. And people are so unsettled. But hey, we've got peace in Jesus Christ. And so we have something to say that's worth being heard. So we can boldly speak in the name of the Lord. Amen. Father, thank you for your word that you have given to us. And Lord, we want to walk in the truth of it. And Lord, we don't want to get tangled up in false teaching. We don't want to get caught up in godless living. We want to be those that hear your word and walk in it. And so, Lord, as we have the wonderful opportunity to preach your word here, um, Lord, may it go forth in power. We pray for that, that revival and that reawakening to the beauty and the wonder of your word. Not just in this place, but, Lord, in any church in this town that is loving you and loving the flock and preaching the word and the gospel. Lord, bless those churches. Lord, we want to see every one of the churches in the city of churches that preach the word filled to overflowing. That's, what, that's our desire, Lord. So would you have mercy upon us? And Lord, for our own homes, where we have to proclaim the word of God to our children, Lord, I pray you give strength and boldness and courage that we would rightly divide the word of truth. So Lord, may you do that. May we be a people of the word. We love your word, Lord. And we want to know more of it. You told us to take heed how we hear, lest even what we have be taken away. Well, Lord, we, we love your word and we in no way want it to diminish in our life. We want it to grow more and more. Lord, so speak to us. Speak to us about how we live and how we walk with one another, how we relate to you and worship you, how we wait for your, your return, Lord. We want your word to do all of these things in our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray.